Hi, I'm Suzanne Dudley, and this is the Power Up Your Sales podcast. This episode is the second of a two-part series with Marion Eliohan. Marion is a certified financial planner and a management and transition strategy coach for financial advisors. She worked for one of Canada's largest and oldest financial planning companies for 33 years until her retirement at the beginning of 2020. In this final episode with Marion, we talk about where to find exceptional salespeople, what keeps them fully engaged in meeting their objectives, and who should be a salesperson's biggest advocate. So you're talking a lot about uh, team and how uh, you need all the right pieces to make the practice work well, um, because if the ultimate goal is to retire and sell, um, you know, buy low, sell high, um, to build up a good practice over time, then you need to bring in the right team members. And, you know, almost every CEO, sales leader, recruiter that I've spoken to over the years They've, at, they've talked about how hard it is to find good salespeople who will produce and not just identifying who they are as they come through the selection process, although that's part of it too, but where are they? Their questions kind of are, how can I get them into my selection process because I don't even know where they are? Do you have any advice you can offer about that? Oh, um, well, I can go back to my day and say that when I was recruiting people, I got my best advisors from referrals from my existing team of advisors. So it's to be able to, again, it goes back out to you need to promote your business. You need to be out there. You need to be networking. You and your other team members, perhaps clients, they need to know who it is that you're looking for. And you almost need to paint that picture to say that. And you need not be afraid to say, I need somebody who's going to go out and prospect. And we need to be able to distinguish between marketing and prospecting because they're not the same. And quite often the two get mixed up. Marketing is all the stuff you do to get your name out there. Prospecting is, hi, Susie. <laughs> together. Hi, Susie, I'm looking for this person that can do this, 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 and this. So, you know, it's, it's just getting the word out because it is tough. And know your ratios. Like, I know that I would be interviewing 25 people to get one solid candidate. And then there you go. And I think the other, and I don't know about the U.S., but in Canada, they're actually beginning to look at some of the universities and some of the colleges actually offering a sales person program. Yes. Which is a huge step. And, you know, I've seen the curriculum and it's like, wow, it's, uh, it's really something. So again, the recognition that sales is a good thing and salespeople are good people who really care about people. So Back to your question, where do you find them? You just have to get the word out and uh, be able to define who and why you need these people. That's a great information. And talking about the, the universities, so they seem to be, the sales programs in the U.S. seem to be popping up everywhere. Uh, there are some that have been around that were kind of trailblazers and started quite a while back. 
but new ones coming on all the time. And I was recently on uh, a virtual learning seminar that was hosted by one of the universities here in Dallas. And they had a session where they had a couple of their graduates and they were the superstars. Okay. So, so, uh, and there's the unicorns are out there, but this young one, uh, one young woman was 700% over quota. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. <laughs> and so, uh, cause you know, in the back of my mind, I wonder, of course, um, you know, given what we do, uh, are these sales programs perpetuating, the word track or head trash about um, selling, you know, trying to combat the negative image, but not not doing it in a in a in a way that helps um, these students grow and be proud of what they do. Uh, so yeah, that question uh, was answered uh, by those those young people on on that virtual seminar. It was really very interesting. They have come out, graduated from the program, and just just shot out of the gate. And so I've often um, advised people that, especially before COVID, you know, unemployment, especially in the U.S., was super, super low. And so with any selection protocol, holding out for the perfect person may cost you more money than going ahead and bringing in somebody who was, you know, good enough. You don't want bad, but somebody bring in somebody that's good enough. So you don't go broke waiting for the unicorn to walk through the door. I have a question for you. And as you were talking about that one that did, you know, 700% over quota, prospecting sustainability. Um, You know, we started off talking about, you know, how advisors, or I mentioned it anyways, how advisors started off building. And then once they've got a, you know, a solid book of business, now they've turned into servicing. So they're really not prospecting um, anymore. So, and we know that in order to be able to Later on, transition out of your practice, sell your practice. Somebody who's buying it needs to be able to know 100% that they're buying a growing and sustainable practice because that's where their income is going to be driven from. So my question is, and based on your research, the sustainability, because I've found myself over the years going through prospecting slumps. I'm wise enough now to know that I need to laugh at myself and get going again. But how does one sustain um, daily contact initiation? Well, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, the the why and the mission statement. Uh, So, you know, a mission statement is important for um, an individual practice or business owner, but it's also important for each of us individually what our own mission statement is and and gives us a reason to really understand why every day we want to do these things that some days um, may be really hard to do. And, you know, especially with when COVID hit, uh, people with less fear and discomfort around prospecting and stronger reasons to prospect rebounded based on one of the studies we did 50% faster than those than the people that didn't. And that was huge. It was a huge discovery. We were able to do this study quite by accident because we had no idea a pandemic was coming. <laughs> but that was the outcome. So the sustainability uh, really completely in my mind centers around having a why because some of our fears 
can be more stubborn. And just when we think we have our groove on and we've kicked them to the side, they um, rear their ugly heads again. And it's the why that helps you just tell them to move over and you dust yourself off like you were saying and keep going. And so for the sustainability, I think that the why is probably one the most important piece, like fundamental to being able to do that consistently over a really long time. Because even if your aim, your career aim, is not to be in the quote-unquote hunter position, uh, it's still important as you move into other positions uh, to be able to do that should you need to again. Um, You know, revenue dries up and, and we need all hands on decks to do that. But also just for your own personal visibility um, and how uh, who you connect with and, and who you see. So if you're a practice owner, I'm thinking it would always behoove you to ensure that people you meet know what you do, provided you want them as a client. Um, and so just even beyond, so this was a young woman in this role, and she had hoped to move into uh, a sales development role where she would handle larger accounts, but but to stay in sales. And so that sustainability over a whole career. That's a long time for some people. <laughs> I think it's the why that you and I were talking about before the podcast. Okay. Um, you know, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of, you know, how do you keep the people on the team motivated that want to stay, particularly if it's going to be a long-term process, that whole succession journey. And that really comes down to, again, I would say those those team meetings, it links into the why. You know, what's, what's in it for the team member um, as they progress through the career? Where are they going to derive their career satisfaction from? And, you know, not everybody is, we all know, they're not all motivated by money. Um, we all need money, but for some, it's not the end game. Or they've gotten to a position in life where, you know, they've done their financial planning, they've done the work, they've got the, the financial resources, but now it's something else. One of the things, and maybe you've got some insights on that, in talking to people these days, be it, you know, just people that I've met, everybody's feeling discouraged that I know because we all like to travel. We like to go places. And that was, you know, one of our whys for doing things is to get out and explore the world and meet different people. And now they're going, well, when am I going to be able to do that? What's it going to look like? And they're kind of in a slump. And it's, yeah, I guess we're all in it. And it seems like it's a difficult conversation. It uh, agree and completely relate. (laughs) (laughs) I've been stuck in the United States uh, for, you know, more than 12 months, maybe 18. I don't want to look at the exact number. So I can completely relate because that is something that I just truly and deeply look forward to every year. Um, I love to be in different places, getting to know people in different cultures. That is you know, it's a good, a strong part of my why. Uh, you know, you can pay me uh, a super low salary, just send me to different places, you know, once or twice a year. And I'm in, that's good. I'm in. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and I did, I will, I will uh, admit that, you know, in the beginning of COVID, okay, this is going to be short term. People said short term, they, they didn't really define what that was. Uh, so I think I had um, two international trips scheduled for the spring 
and maybe three or four trips all together. And all of that went away and, you know, it would get postponed and then canceled and postponed. And so I, you know, I, I do feel like my motivation absolutely suffered, you know, as the longer things drug out. And I think that really gets into just the whole COVID environment and people talking about anxiety and depression that comes on as a result of COVID. You know, not only am I stuck at home, but I'm trying to work and homeschool a child, <laughs> a teenager. Oh, yeah, I don't even yeah. <laughs> And so it's like bad thing upon bad thing piling up on us. But I think um, what I have done is find the bright spots And I have also met some amazing people online just for referrals and various acts of fate that that brought people together. We've opened new markets. So I have really learned to focus on the positive things. And I've seen a lot of that advice also out from the um, behavioral health industry. Um, And I, I do think that that's a behavioral health issue in this COVID environment. Um, And, you know, your why I think can feel out of reach in in times like this, but I personally don't believe that that's the case. I have found that I needed to perhaps stretch out the timeline a little bit because we didn't see this one coming. (laughs) But other than that, your, your, your reason doesn't necessarily have to change, but it can. Um, I think people who may have had time, like you were saying, you have time to really think about things now and is what you're doing uh, the thing that you, you're going to be proud of when, you know, you're at the pearly gates or, you know, going to the hospital for what may be the last time, <laughs> you know, uh, are, are you going to be happy that these are the things and the choices, the things you did and the choices that you made? And so it, it could also be an opportunity to change direction And so I think um, having a why that is aligned with your values is just absolutely fundamental to your to your mental health, for one thing, but also to your career, because you can give it you can give it a lot. And I have found that, you know, over the years, uh, because, you know, back in the 80s, and in, in 90s, like, I, I think companies had mission statements, but it was something they put on their annual report. <laughs> and, you know, maybe some companies really grilled people on it. And now I'm finding that with the younger generation of, of people coming um, onto teams, that they, they seek that, like they need that, that feeds them. And if my why is aligned well with theirs, then those end up being team members that work out really well in our organization. And so uh, it, it has been a an interesting journey to, you know, move from one millennial to the next <laughs> and just transition uh, from a business owner, just transition your whole perspective on um, what you're doing. And, you know, uh, regarding the succession planning, I decided that I actually don't want to be the the face and the voice, although I end up doing that quite a bit. I'm not the only one. And I don't think for succession planning, um, I don't want this organization to retire with me. I want it to continue on. And so I found that it was helpful to have a mission that was meaningful to me that was not about money 
that has allowed me to bring on new team members and uh, they get really dug into that and they can see long term as well. And so that's where I have found some success in people who can be effective on, on the team and perhaps be in positions of authority while I step away. And I'm super comfortable with not being in the spotlight and having them in the spotlight. And the delegation, though, and the giving up of control was physically painful. painful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But once I did it, I was really, really comfortable with it. So I think your goal and your personal mission statement, from my perspective, is one of the most important things you can take the time to to develop. Because I think, you know, kids now, like when they go to school, they get academic goals. Their teachers do that with them. But when I was growing up, that didn't happen. Um, It was, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to secondary school, you're going to go to college, you're going to graduate, you're going to have some kind of a career because that's what you do. You just do that. You're obligated to support this family or, you know, whatever. You just do that. And now it's, it's, you, you do it for a different reason, not just because society says you have to. It's like we're having a whole shift, just a, a paradigm shift um, culturally in now people are doing things because they want to. And I know that there's a lot of talk about millennials and the entitlement and all that. And certainly you see some of that, but I feel a lot of hope in the generation too, because they are motivated more by things besides just money. And I found that really interesting. I don't know if you've had any experience with that divergence of of generations uh, yourself. Yes, I have. When we first started to see them emerge, I think we were all, well, I can't speak, I can't say for all. Um, I, for one, you know, we kind of went into it with, with tunnel vision. But what I've come to recognize and acknowledge is that there's a whole new breed of entrepreneur out there because you say, you know, these people, they know what they want. And that was one of the other things that people that I've talked to and when I was training people, the, the new advisors coming in, they would be asking the question, what's in it for me? What's what's the value proposition? And again, you know, as, as businesses and as financial advisors or anybody out there that's operating in an environment where you're attracting people to you, what is your value proposition? Because they want to loop into that. And if you if you can't provide them with that clear vision of where you want to go and what's in it for them, they're not going to come on board. But I look at some of them and, you know, my my daughter's fiance, she's she's launched a book on Kickstarter. And then when I went into Kickstarter, there's all kinds of great entrepreneurial people. So going back to what we talked about, where do we find this next generation of advisor? And we're having a tough time in the industry finding them generally. I believe, you know, we need to reach out to them to offer them an alternative because they are looking for something. They are very much relationship type people. Um, And this business is a relationship type of business, but they have to be able to do it's, it's two pronged it's relationship and it's asset gathering client acquisition. And those two have to come together. And um, that is where we have, the big challenge, but we can get a a head start on all that with your SPQ gold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, something interesting that that I have 
just more recently just really become aware of back in the 90s, relationship selling from from our perspective was kind of invented, if you will, to combat the quote unquote stereotypical um, greedy, self-centered, narcissistic salesperson. And it was, in my opinion, and I know this is really, um, it's really rough and brutal, but it seemed to be, okay, you're, you're not a salesperson, you're building relationships, and you're these people's friend. And I feel like a lot of the, the outcome that the organization still needed, they still needed these people to make sales and close deals. It kind of got lost in all that. I'm finding now when I look at sales job uh, posts, so on on the the post the job posting boards, they'll say that they want someone to re- to build relationships, but they're also really clear uh, these days that the relationship needs to be built. But but you know you're going to be uh, rewarded for closed sales, so the relationship is in service of closing a sale, and it seems like they're making that connection a lot more explicit. Where back in the 90s, it was trying to cover up something like like selling was bad or, you know, yeah, sales yeah. were bad. And it, it's been to me when I when I realized that it was such a refreshing, a refreshing thing to see and to hear. Because from my opinion, I'll just say it right now, salespeople are our essential workers, um, you know, wherever you are as a salesperson, you're an essential worker or you wouldn't be hired by your organization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a proud profession, and uh, you know I've had the the benefit over the years. It was straight commission sales, and then I went into head office. And the thing that bothered me the most was the fact that I wasn't in control of that income. The only portion of my income that I could control was my bonus, which was based on objectives. So, you know, it's it's an interesting mindset. And that was, you know, one of the times when I went in, I'd never worked salary before. I'd always worked in sales. My parents were entrepreneurs. So we, you know, you had to generate your own income. And then having a guaranteed income, I found to be more uh, nerve wracking. And I was very insecure about it because it was like, I don't control any of this. At any point in time, they can say Goodbye. Whereas if you have an income where you are responsible for generating revenues, either, you know, for a company, because most of us are associated with a company, you know, you're responsible for driving revenue. Um, You control that and you can control how much that is by going out there and providing, you know, helping other people to see the value in what it is that you're bringing to them. I wish I could remember the uh, Jackie my friend Jackie, um, she has a great saying, and I just, it, I just got a complete blank. I used to keep it on my board about, you know, people don't know what you do, and something along the line, people don't know what you do unless you're able to tell them what you do. I don't know. It was something magical like that. She's got a great way with words, but yes, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's stuck with me, and it's the outcome of it is, I'm responsible for telling people about the good work that I do. And uh, that that's on me. It's yeah. not on anybody else. And that's that's the message that you know financial advisors need to get out there, and their team members and the future successors 
of their practice need to be able to do that as well with confidence um, and be proud of that work that they're doing. That magical saying Marion was referring to is from BSRP's Director of Sales, Jacqueline Calder. She says, quote, people can't buy from you if they don't know you exist, end quote. Thanks to Marion for participating in our podcast, and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with a friend or a colleague. I'm Suzanne Dudley, and this is the Power Up Your Sales podcast.